So if you don't know my name, uh, I'm Victor Martinez. I'm one of the staff members with Chi Alpha. I am the internship director um, and worship director. And I'm just so honored and excited to be here with you guys. And can I say, as Pastor John was just giving that word, I honestly, honestly was already thinking that already in my heart. God wants to do something special tonight. And I know that you might have come from break, good or bad. You're worried about the future. You're worried about this, these next couple of weeks, and I get it. God wants to do something special tonight. I really honestly believe it. So let's dive into the scriptures. But today we're going to continue our series, Right to Beauty, and continue to look into the different characteristics of what makes Jesus beautiful. Before Thanksgiving, Pastor Derek uh, led us through scripture and just taught us the beauty of Jesus' service and his willingness to wash our feet, even as though sometimes we're Judas. Tonight, our text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the very first book of the New Testament. At the beginning of the chapter, John the Baptist essentially sends messengers because he's heard of all the miracles that Jesus is doing. And so he sends some messengers and he asks, they ask him one question. Are you the one to come or should we look for another? Essentially, they ask, are you the guy? Are you the answer that we're looking for? Or do we need to go somewhere else? Should we keep looking? This draws a crowd as people are looking for Jesus' answer and they're waiting to hear what he says and then he goes on to this discourse about himself and most importantly, his relationship about the Father. And at the very end of the text, we find what Jesus says. We'll be reading in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. So if you wanna open up your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever it is that you do. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, and it says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that tonight that above all else, we would find rest for our souls. Whatever it is that we're struggling with, Jesus, whatever it is that we're going through, what we're facing, I pray tonight that we would find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few years ago, when I was in high school, I got to attend and be part of a conference that another church in the area was hosting they brought in this speaker who traveled around and basically was just had the job of speaking at other churches and conferences and things like that. It was really a powerful couple of days. There was extended worship and prayer and people were getting healed and prophecies were being given out. But if I'm honest, I was mainly impressed by the speaker. He was a fantastic preacher. He had this kind of charisma as he was walking around. He was wearing fancy new clothes and he talked about all these different times that he traveled around the world and all these different trips. And so the following Sunday, when we were giving praise reports, and if you don't know what those are, it's basically a time when one person, and it goes back and forth, will stand up 
and they will say what God is doing in their life. I am thankful today for yada, yada, yada. It's really old school, but it's, it only really works in smaller churches. So I stood up in front of everyone. This is probably like my fourth time ever do this. Keep in mind that I'm 18 at the time. So like, I don't know, I've, I've never done this before. I have done it a few times. So I got up and I said, I feel as if God is calling me to be a pastor and a preacher in front of everybody. Like, it wasn't just like I told my mom and we got to talk about it. No, it's like I literally just got up. I don't even know what spurred me, but I did it. Naturally, people in the church were happy. Everyone was clapping. People were like patting me on the back, saying, hey, that's awesome, man. Gold star for you. I honestly felt as if like the heavens opened up that day and I walked out and I was like, yeah, you're looking at the new pastor. Yeah, come on. You're looking at the new preacher right here. Unfortunately, the journey was gonna be a lot more complex than that. It's gonna be a lot harder than that. Naturally, over the next few years, I constantly felt this weight on my back. Keep in mind that I only told a handful, like the church was like 30 people at most. So it wasn't like I told the whole world and I posted on social media, it was just a handful of people. And yet, as I left my hometown and I came to college, I had this weight. I felt like if I, I needed to achieve what I had set out to do, and if I hadn't, then I was a failure. I was less than, I was a liar, I was, a, I was just a sham. I would find myself working and striving endlessly to achieve what I had set out to do through whatever means necessary, whatever means necessary, good or bad. I needed to become a pastor, I needed to become a preacher because who else would I be? This pressure, it, it caused my flaws, my sin and my mistakes to be blown out of proportion because essentially they were attacked to the future. They were stopping me from getting to where I needed to be. I constantly compared myself with others who were along this journey and I found myself resenting them because they were better than me. I was so caught up with maintaining my image and my status since pastors were supposed to be perfect. They were supposed to be good. I began to hide my sin and it drove me even further away from where I wanted to go. Anytime that something minor happened, anytime an inconvenience came into my life that would potentially damage my future, I would spiral for hours and say, God, is this really what you're calling me to? I found myself physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted and utterly lost. And I'm sure many of you can relate to my story. Here's the thing. Maybe you don't feel the call to ministry and maybe you don't feel the call to be a pastor or preacher. Hear me, that's fine. But you are looking for something. You are looking to be someone. You are looking to get to a certain place. And this longing causes you to work and strive because you believe that once you get there and achieve what you set out to accomplish, you'll finally be fulfilled. But in the meanwhile, from point A to point B, the weight is crushing you. This doesn't just refer to just getting a certain job or a position or a role. Maybe your desire is to just get married or find the one. 
Maybe you just wanna be wanted by someone. And so you find yourself working so hard and just looking for the one. You tirelessly work and work and work. You flirt. You get out of one relationship and go to another. You'll even go to the extreme of sleeping around because at least then you'll be wanted. Maybe you long to have this dream job or title or position so you give hours and hours and hours of your life at the expense of community and even your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're in this place and you long to be comfortable and live an effortless life. So ironically, you'll do whatever it takes to your life to make your life void of pain and uncomfortableness. The list can go on and on and on, but they lead to what I call the unrest of the soul. You see, we were created with godly needs and good desires, but because of the sin that's in our heart, because our nature, these desires and needs become distorted and eventually they'll become the ultimate, the final, the must be of our lives. It is a condition in which we are a constant state of physical, spiritual, and emotional work and toil for the sake of finding whatever it is our souls are longing for. For example, it's going to be kind of silly, but have you, has anyone ever been in a situation where you can't find the right condition to fall asleep? It sucks, right? It's not fun. Like maybe the pillow isn't fluffed up or maybe the room is too hot or too cold. Maybe you can't find like the right like position to sleep in. So like you struggle and you move and you get up and you turn the fan on and you go back and then you move your pillow. We long to find this place to fall asleep. <laughs> Every single human longs and toils for something. No matter how much popularity, money, friends, pleasure, success, etc., people are striving for more and more and more. So hear me, I, I know up until this point it's been bleak. I know that up to this point it's been dark, but I promise you that there's hope and there's future. There is an answer to the unrest of our soul. It's not permanent. So let's dive back into the scriptures. And really what I wanna do, if you can put the scripture back on actually. So Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heaven laden and I will give you rest. So I'm gonna divide that up into three separate parts. Come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So come to me, come to who? Come to Jesus, and I will give you the rest. So I'll divide that up in three parts. So as we go back into this text, the first thing we have to notice is that Jesus begins the section, come to me with an invitation. The NIV version says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened. The first common word, if you read across several translations, the first word that's common is all. The calling, this invitation, it's universal. It does not mean that only a select few. It means all who are weary and burdened. No one is excluded. No burden is too big. No burden is too small. Come all. And now it might be tempting to read this verse and think you can only come to Jesus if you've proven that you've worked hard enough, but Jesus is simply calling those who have needs. That's what that means. Come to me all who are weary and burdened. Come to me all who have need. So what needs are Jesus talking about? What burdens is he referring to? I believe that there are three major groups of burdens. The burden of the world, the burden of self, and the burden of sin. The burden of the world, 
the burden of self, the burden of sin. Now, keep in mind, not every single situation, not every single thing that you're struggling with might fall into this category, but I believe that it's pretty encompassing. So the first one is the burden of the world. What is the burden of the world? The burden of the world is really anything outside of the spiritual realm and outside of ourselves that doesn't always have to be inherently sinful or bad. And it can be though. Sometimes it's referred to as the burden of life. This includes things like societal and cultural expectations, daily responsibilities, relationships, both romantic and non-romantic, so on and so forth. Essentially, it's this external pressure from out the outside to commit, to stand up for, to live like, to worship, to look like, to be, so on and so forth. It's all of these voices coming at you from different directions saying, this is what you have to be like. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Why aren't you doing this? You're not good enough here, so on and so forth. That's the burden of the world. And this can even come from inside the church, unfortunately. The second thing is burden of self. So the burden of self, this one is a little bit more confusing, but I promise you, once you really grab this concept, once you really understand what it's referring to, it's life-changing, it's revolutionary. There are a lot of voices, as I said, that we hear throughout our life, but the most powerful and the most influential, hear this, is the one that's inside our own head. The one that's inside your own head. The power of our own conscious self-esteem, self-image, it's unmatched. And it can cause us to do great things and make an impact, or it can cause us to crumble and fall into despair. So here's an example. You can be the most attractive person there is on planet Earth. Like, I mean, you're operating at like just peak performance. You can sing like an angel. You can be incredibly smart and wise. But if in your own mind, you constantly tell yourself, I am unattractive, I cannot sing, I'm a terrible singer, and I am just, I have the IQ of a lima bean. <laughs> How do you think that's gonna make you live? You'll live in constant hate of yourself. <laughs> so get this, here's the important thing. The stories we believe, you believe about yourself, the truth or lies you've come to accept, the image that you see in your mind, all of these things will influence how you live your life and how you relate to the people around you. The basic idea, the burden of self, we care way too much about what we think of ourselves. Some examples include negative body image, poor self-esteem, comparison struggles, and some mental health issues. Now, I, I wanna clear something up before I move on. If you're in this room and you struggle with any of those things that I just said, I want you to hear me. You are not less than because you struggle with those. And this is not a sermon for you to feel worse about who you already are. That is not from Jesus. The shame and the guilt and all those feelings of self-hate those are not from Jesus. What I am saying is that the opinion of yourself isn't always gonna be right. The devil can take those voices in your head and twist them. The world can make you think a different way about yourself. We are just subjective creatures at heart and we can be tossed to and fro by the wind with constantly changing opinions. 
the only opinion that is true and pure and that will last through time is that of Jesus himself. Let him tell you what you should think of yourself. I promise you, if you let him tell you who you are, you will never feel shame. You will never feel guilt. You will never feel unworthy. You will never feel less than. I promise you, you won't regret it. So the last burden that we have is the burden of sin. This one is pretty self-explanatory, but really all it is is understanding that our sins separate us from God and they become heavy chains and shackles on our souls. Shackles and chains are the ultimate sign of bondage or imprisonment. The unbearable weight leads to unnecessary exertion of strength, quicker fatigue, loss of movement, and often leads to loss of motivation. Those are physical chains. Spiritually speaking, the chains of sin cause us to use more of our spiritual energy and strength to prove ourselves or to try and take the chains off. They cause us to tire out more quickly and they make a few hours or a few days seem like it's been a few weeks and a few months. Do you know that feeling? It's, it's been a long couple hours and yet it feels like it's been a month. They'll make us question our faith and tempt us to just give up and say we're done. And it can be easy to think about like bigger sins like such as pornography and getting drunk, but unforgiveness and bitterness, pride, gossip, addictions, all of these are just as powerful. Jesus wants to give you rest, not begrudgingly, not out of obligation, but freely and openly he gives all to who come to him. He won't force you to take it. He won't shove it down your throat. But we have to be willing to be real with ourselves and come to him. Jesus, I promise you, will take the burden of trying to stay relevant to today's culture. Jesus will take the burden of self negative self-esteem. Jesus will take the burden of your unforgiveness. So once we come to Jesus, how is it, how do we know that what Jesus is offering is real? How can we trust what he's offering? As we continue on our text, we see that Jesus expands and he clarifies what his gift of rest actually looks like. And it says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He doesn't say, hey, you should listen to what I say because I'm smarter than you, although he is. I want to clarify that. He doesn't say, take my yoke because if you don't, I'll punish you or I'll smite you. No, he doesn't say, take my yoke upon you. He says, take my yoke upon you because why? Because I'm gentle and lowly at heart. This is a powerful statement. In all of the gospels, if you read, this is the one time that Jesus actually reveals about himself, about his heart. And what does he say? What are the two words that he uses? Gentleness and lowliness. In other words, meekness and humility. They are not the exception. They are not the special circumcise. You don't have to motivate Jesus to be gentle and lowly. It's just who he is. It's just who's his heart. They are his natural state of being. This should give us not, it should give us the most utmost confidence to approach him and at the same time, it should also deeply motivate us to come to him. Why? Because he won't receive us with a disappointed look. He's not looking for a reason to punish us. He doesn't offer tough love. He isn't harsh and abrasive. He's loving. And when you're falling and when you're straying off the path, he'll gently correct you. 
We can trust Jesus because of who he is. We can trust the gift that he gives us because he is gentle and lowly. There is no hidden motivation. There's, nothing, there's no wanting from you. He's gentle and lowly. So the question for you, do you view Jesus this way? What do you view Jesus as? When you hear his name, what comes to your mind? What comes to your heart? A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Keep in mind that Jesus is fully God. So they'll share all the same attributes and characteristics. So just take a few moments to think and reflect. What do you think? What do you feel? What does your heart say when Jesus, well, the name of Jesus comes to mind? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it anxiety? Or is it absolutely nothing, which is equally as bad, if not worse? Or does love come into your heart? Does joy come into your heart? Does confidence and assurance come into your heart? Your heart posture towards Jesus will determine your receptiveness or your openness to his rest. If we want to fully enter into rest that our souls so long for, we have to trust Jesus' character and who he is. The beauty of Jesus is that he's gentle and lowly at heart. We can trust Jesus and take on his yoke because he is meek. So once we understand what Jesus is offering and why we can trust him enough to go to him and to receive his gift, how do we actually do that? We must understand when Jesus offers rest, it does not mean that we'll be free of having to work and, and do all the things that we have to do. It doesn't mean that we'll be free from all these different uh, commitments and responsibilities. So what does actually it mean? If you don't know what a yoke is, it's essentially a piece of farm equipment. So like if you have like two oxen, it's the piece in the middle that kind of hold them together, but also attaches them to a cart or a plow or a cart or whatever you want to attach it to. At the time, this would have made sense. For you guys, you probably have never seen a yoke. But at the time when people were listening to Jesus, when he said yoke, it's like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Essentially, Jesus, when he said, take on my yoke, he says, you have to submit to me. He was asking them to yield or give in to something, to be under someone else's control. In describing himself as gentle and lowly, Jesus was clarifying that his yoke was one of humility and meekness. So what is a yoke of meekness? What does that actually look like? It means when you take on this yoke of meekness, you are no longer the center of the universe. You no longer need to be in control. It is to say, I relinquish the control of my life. Jesus, that's your job. Here's the reality. If Jesus is the God of the universe, then he is significantly smarter and stronger than we are. If we let Jesus take control of the ship, it means that we can just rest easy because we know that the smartest, wisest, strongest person in the universe is leading our lives. Do you know how the weight that would take off your life 
if you honestly believe that. Humility, it's so much more of a lighter load than carrying the burdens of the world because we don't need to prove anything to anyone else. It's all on Jesus. Even ourselves, we don't need to prove to ourselves that we're worthy because you know what? Jesus says that I'm worthy and so I am. When we fall short and we fail, our whole world doesn't collapse on us because we put our identity and trust and say, Jesus, you let me know what I am. And this is why Jesus is able to say in verse 30, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's because he's doing all of the heavy lifting. We don't need to worry about anything else but being obedient to Jesus and nothing more. At the same time, humility or a light yoke does not mean you're being excused from your responsibilities, as I said earlier. Jesus is not saying that once you come to him, all you have to, be, all you have to do is be humble and you don't have to do anything else. You're free to do whatever you want. If you've gotten a chance to read through the gospels, Jesus doesn't come to free us from hard work and mission, actually. He calls us up higher than that. Through the yoke of meekness, we are able to do far more from the kingdom than by our own strength. At the end of the gospel, Matthew, G, uh, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, which is a huge, daunting task. There are billions and billions of people. And yet the only way we're ever gonna accomplish that huge, tremendous feat is through the yoke of meekness. To say, Jesus is not on me. We can be fully confident when we're talking about our classmates, our roommates, our friends, and our families because we don't have this pressure on our backs. We're not trying to be, bring glory to our name. It's not about us anymore. It's all on Jesus, and it's for Jesus. And we can go to the deepest, darkest places of the world and face all sorts of evils because we know that we're not in control. It's Jesus. To wrap up this idea... Again, A.W. Tozer writes in his book, The Pursuit of God, Jesus calls us to his rest and meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. So the second thing that Jesus calls us in order to accept his rest is to learn from him. In order to really step into Jesus' peace and rest for our souls, we must learn from him and follow in his footsteps. We must become students or apprentices under Jesus and through him we'll honestly learn the true ways of rest. We must commit to a lifestyle of learning and growing. When Jesus was here on earth, he was showing and modeling a lifestyle that by no means was easy but at the same time was marked by intimate and deep communion with God. He showed us what life in the kingdom really looked like. This world is fallen and it's full of evil and darkness and there are plenty of things that are looking to crush us. But Jesus has gone through and shown us a way to fight back. When we take on the ways of Jesus, we can overcome the world and not find ourselves broken and exhausted. So I know that was a lot of theology. That was a lot of looking through the scriptures. So how do we actually ap apply this? What can we do practically? What can you practically do in your day-to-day -day life? If you earnestly want Jesus' rest, you need to learn how to rest like him. And this looks like a variety of ways. It's not one perfect way. It's not one single path. It's a variety. It's a combination of things. One major way was that Jesus was constantly in communion 
with the Father through prayer. Jesus was not only asking God for things, he was conversing with him in an intimate and powerful way. He allowed the Father to minister and speak to him and the Holy Spirit was able to refresh his soul. Continuing with this idea of taking up Jesus' yoke of humility, we can practice humility. Did you know that? You can actually practice humility. As weird as that sounds, humility is not something that one day you decide, hey, I'm really prideful, and the next day you're like, wow, I'm really humble. It doesn't work like that. It's a process that takes time. It's a process that takes many steps to get to that place. If you're struggling with thinking of yourself constantly, find ways to serve others. Even if you don't feel like it, pray for people. I promise you, if there's a person that just really bugs you and you just can't stand their presence, I promise you, if you spend days praying for them, you can't help but love them. Pray for others. If you find yourself being consumed with negative thoughts, constantly ask the Holy Spirit to fill your mind with God's truth and promises. Find ways to condition your mind out of its destructive habits, like listening to worship or listening to Jesus' podcast or meditating on the Bible or even God's creation, just walking outside in nature and saying, God, you did all of this. this is amazing. At the same, on the same line, if we're talking about rest, this entire sermon about rest, then we can't overlook one crucial step of rest, which is the Sabbath. I promise you we could spend all night talking about the Sabbath and we'd be here for hours, but I promise you I'm not gonna keep you that long. I just wanna hit on a few things. This is the, the, the kicker. The Sabbath is not just a time when you sit around and you stare at the wall for an entire day or you just been watching Netflix. That's not Sabbath. It's not even restful for you. The Sabbath is supposed to be a day in which you have more time to connect with God through various avenues, which can include sleep and resting and physical rest. Yes, all those things are good, but it's supposed to be so much more than that. On your Sabbath, you should try to do things that will help you connect with God, such as having extended times of prayer, of worship, of scripture meditation, but you can also do things like silence and solitude. You can walk around and just reflect on the beauty of God. All of these things that can't be done during a normal week or a normal workday. You should also aim to do things that will refresh your soul. Like maybe you really enjoy taking walks. Bless you if you do, I don't. Maybe you like playing basketball with your friends. Bless you, I don't. <laughs> but if these things bring life to you, then do them on your Sabbath. I'll give you an example. I love to cook. I really, really love to cook. And on my Sabbath, what I tried to do is I'll try to make these like extravagant, like really complex meals. I'll spend hours by the stove, whisking, stirring, baking, whatever it is. It's long hours. But by the time that I get done, by the time that I get to eat the fruits of my labor, man, I feel refreshed. And I go at the end of that day, I just feel like, God, you're, you're good. God, thank you for allowing me to enjoy whatever it is that I made. I don't know, baked Alaska, sure. God, thank you for the beauty of food. Thank you for the beauty of being able to spend time with my wife and to be able to reflect on who you are. Do those things on your Sabbath. It's not sinful to do things that you enjoy on your Sabbath because God created those things for you to enjoy. He thought about you that deeply eons ago. 
At the same time, stay away from things that drain you. Again, in my own personality, I really, really struggle being around people. And I don't mean that as a way that I, I hate you guys, I love you guys, but sometimes I need to be away from you. <laughs> I'm sorry. So if you struggle with, if that's one of your things for me, I can't meet with people on my Sabbath. Why? Because it's draining for me. So on the days that I can, I'll push all my meetings all the time that I'm hanging out with people early on in the week. The Sabbath is just for me and God and my wife. She's there too. She's kind of cool. <laughs> if you don't already Sabbath, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And here's the thing. God will not be mad at you if you miss a Sabbath. Right? He's not going to be angry if you have to work on a Sabbath. Life happens. Things happen. But don't let that become the pattern of your life. Don't let your life become so cluttered that you can't Sabbath and spend time with God. The other practical thing we can do is just simply be obedient to what Jesus is calling us to do. Obedience will do wonders for your soul. I can promise you. Here's the thing, and take this not in a mean way. If you are disobeying, disobeying God's will for your life, you are keeping yourself from entering God's rest. Your soul, if you are disobeying God, will never enter into God's rest. You'll just be constantly at war with yourself. I know this from personal experience. For those of you who don't know me, I once was in a really toxic relationship and not godly at all. And for the sake of keeping the story short and for time, we were sleeping together and we were crossing boundaries. We were lying about it because we didn't want to tell anybody. So we just told everybody that we were okay. And we were just covering our sin. The reality was that my sin was keeping me from coming to Jesus because I felt unworthy, because I felt gross, because I felt like Jesus was mad at me. I constantly felt isolated and I could never truly come to God because I, in my head, I was like, God is so pure. His presence can't stand to be near me. And that's just a lie, but it's how I felt. So I, I never really opened up to God and really told him who I was, even though he already knew me. Does that kind of make sense what I'm trying to say? I knew I was in sin. I knew that I was doing something that was breaking God's heart. If you want to go further and deeper with Jesus and you want to enter into this rest that he offers you, you have to be obedient to what he's calling you to do. You have to be. There is no middle ground. It's one or the other. It's a lot, right? So we're gonna close tonight. And I, I wanna give you the ending of my story. So I know that I started off and it was bleak and it was a lot of gloominess, but I, I want to share what Jesus has done in my life. As I said earlier, I was obsessed with becoming a pastor and a preacher. And I spent a lot of time beating myself up and constantly just worried about the future and how God was going to get me there if even that was a plan. I hadn't attended a Bible school, so I didn't have the same training as the people I looked up to. And honestly, I felt like, God, how can you even take me from a small town to be this magnificent preacher. Again, I was 18. I was really prideful. This went on for a couple of years. And then 
During fall retreat a couple of years ago, uh, it was actually after the time of COVID where we couldn't really have big conferences. We had the opportunity as a team, I was an intern at the time for Chi Alpha, to sit down with our national training director, Alex Rodriguez. If you haven't listened to his sermons or read his book, I highly encourage you to do that. But we had the blessing, the honor to sit down with him and to ask him questions. My wife near at the end of the time, who at the time was my girlfriend, asked him a really, really great question. She said, what's the one thing you are not good at or trying to grow in? And he sits and he thinks about it for a while. And then he replies, the, the weirdest of all answers. He says, you know, I'm not a really good pastor. I'm not a really good shepherd. And this is mind blowing to me. He was a former Chi Alpha director. He was a national training director. He was in full-time ministry. And for someone in his position and authority to say, you know what? I'm not a really good pastor. Could you imagine if your doctor was like, I'm just not a really good doctor. I hope you're good with that. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And as I reflected on that for the next few days, I brought it to the Lord and he revealed something to me. Alex wasn't trying to say that he was okay with not being good at something because he didn't care. No, he, he, what he was saying was that he had come to peace with a weak area in his life. And he was confident in who he was in Jesus. He understood that maybe Jesus was calling him to serve in a different capacity. And maybe that required a different skill set. And he was okay with that. Never in my life had I ever heard that. To be okay with not being good at something. And then the Lord spoke to me. And I hope that he speaks this to you who are burdened and weary. It's okay. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a preacher. I'll still love you the same. You're still my son. Go ahead and take that burden off. Take my yoke. I'll give you rest. And as I took off this burden and as I laid down my life and my obsession and my role and my title, I rested. I rested in the sweet presence of Jesus. For the last four years of my life, I finally felt okay with myself. I finally felt like God was saying, I didn't need to prove to anyone because my father was already proud of me. I didn't need to be concerned about my future because I knew Jesus would care for me and that he would take care of the rest. I found freedom for my soul. And so I wanna ask as we close tonight, what burdens are you carrying in here? are you wanting to give to Jesus tonight? Are you tired of laboring? Are you weary of trying to prove yourself to others? Are you tired of all the negative voices that are in your head saying that you're unworthy? 
Are you tired of, of going from relationship to relationship to relationship, never being at peace with yourself? Are you tired? Are you tired? Because if you are, Jesus has a few words for you. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Are you burnt out from trying to work and to earn your place in the kingdom of God? Come to Jesus and he'll give you rest. Are you physically and emotionally exhausted? Come to Jesus, he'll give you rest. More than just rest for your souls, Jesus wants to give you life, an abundance of life. You see, in, an, in his absolute holiness and purity, our sin kept us from God, and yet Jesus paid the final price so that we could enter into God's rest. The writers of Hebrews in chapter four, they say, we now who accepted Jesus' blood can enter into his rest. And it's only because of Jesus. So you can continue to work and to struggle and to battle with yourself, but I promise you the only thing you need to do is give your life to Jesus and he'll give you rest for your souls. So what I wanna to do today is you don't need to be, need to perform tonight. You don't need to be the religious church kid, the Chi Alpha kid. You don't need to put on a show for anyone else tonight. I, I want you guys to have a restful experience with Jesus. The band is gonna play softly behind me for a few, few minutes. Would you just go to Jesus? Whatever that looks like for you. If you need to come to the altars, if you need to stay in your seat, if you need to go to the back, there's gonna be people on the sides who are willing to pray for you. But do whatever it is that you need to do, but go to Jesus. I promise you, God is not withholding rest from you. He wants to bless you with rest. He cares about your well-being and he wants to give you that rest that you've been so longing for. So please, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Jesus, I just pray right now, God, that your rest would go all over this place, that people would step out of the darkness, that people would lay down their burdens. Jesus, whatever it is that people are dealing with, God, would you take it away? after Jesus.